Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Maybe you want to get a piece of that. Pretty good. I want to talk about sexy teens. I was getting erections. It's a very creepy feeling. I can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again. None of this is relevant. Pokemon, Pokeballs. 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. Cora question. I have three employees who start work at 8 a.m. and leave at 4 p.m. They are good at their careers, but I don't like that their commitment only lasts for work hours only. What should I do as CEO? Well, I think the first thing you should do is stop pretending to be a CEO. This does not sound like a CEO question. Uh, because you used, for some reason, what stuck out to me the most was you said they are good at their careers. And I don't know why that struck me, but immediately I thought this isn't an actual CEO speaking. So there's something somehow fishy in the language choice of this question that makes me think it's not a CEO, it's someone pretending to be a CEO. And I'm pretty sure most of the high-powered, amazing people on Quora who are spending their free time answering and asking questions of other people are not really the people they pretend to be. There is a possibility that this is a lazy employee or, a pl- or an employee who's only committed to their work hours and is looking for excuses or arguments on their behalf or is trying to find out what their CEO could do to them. But I don't really buy that either. A serious answer to this question is, what is your expectation versus their reward for achieving that expectation? So you seem, as CEO, to expect people to go beyond their agreed-upon work hours. That's not a terrible thing if they are rewarded for doing that. But I would bet, if this was a serious question from a real person, that you want that extra commitment, but you don't want to actually give any sort of extra reward. And this is one of the faults of managers and people in positions of power is they have these expectations for other people that they themselves would not fulfill. If a CEO stays later or works harder, they get bonuses. The average worker, if they stay longer and demonstrate more commitment, may get overtime. There are actually a lot of salaried employees who don't. So there is no benefit for them to do anything beyond their work hours. So as CEO, as the person in charge, if you want them to do more than is agreed upon within their contract, which you should respect as the person who created that contract and signed as the other person on the contract, you need to put in place some kind of reward system for extra commitment. And realistically, that is where short-sighted CEOs go wrong. You actually see this in a micro version in like fast food restaurants. You have the shift manager expects everyone else to come in early and stay late and do extra work and work that they're not actually contracted to do because they're the manager and you're not, so you should do what they say. But since there's no reward for those employees to do that thing, they don't even get respect from their shift manager. More often than not, they refuse to do it. And for them, there's no real loss in them quitting that fast food job and moving to another fast food place, which is very easy for them to get because they have a little bit of experience. 
So for some reason, this question struck me, and I think it's because it didn't sound like a real CEO. A real CEO would know that if you want people to do more, to commit more, to stay later, there has to be an incentive to do that. That's kind of CEO 101. How do you get people to do what you want? Well, you have to offer them something. It doesn't necessarily have to be fiscal. It doesn't have to be money to get them to do what you want. It could be something else. You get more time off later. You get a bigger bonus at the end of the year. You get something else. You get an improved Medicare package. Some other benefit. You get to set your own work hours. These are all things that are fully possible within the realm of the CEO to decide, which makes it confusing to me that a CEO would come to a place like Quora and have to ask this question, because if you are a real CEO, this would have been the stuff you should know if you're going to be successful. So if you're a real CEO... I assume you are absolutely shit at your job. And if you're not a real CEO, that actually would make more sense because you do not seem to have framed somehow you have it's I I was pretty much framed this question as someone with the knowledge of an actual CEO. So I am an older man. I'm 47 and I'm still doing judo and I'm still trying to, you know, maintain a certain level of of health and fitness. I thought, "Oh, one of the things I should look into" as an older man getting even older, was testosterone supplements. Because I know that factually speaking, my testosterone levels will drop sooner or later. My body just won't produce enough. And the downside of not producing enough testosterone is a drop in muscle mass and bone density. There are other personal performance issues, but that wasn't actually what I was looking into. Those would be certainly benefits. I wouldn't complain about that. Uh Uh-huh. Um, but realistically speaking, I wanted to maintain a certain level of health as I move on into even older years. So I looked up testosterone supplements and they are effective for maintaining your current level of testosterone. They will help with uh, muscle mass and bone density and other performance issues. The problem is the actual testosterone supplements, that's not how your body's supposed to get or make it. So there are a bunch of downsides, like it's really bad for your liver, it's really bad for your testicles, it's really bad for the things in your body that help make testosterone. So it turns out that there are more cons than pros to testosterone supplements. So I had to look up natural ways to improve my testosterone. And it was really interesting because there were three things you can do to increase your testosterone. One is get more sleep. Two is exercise more and harder. And three eat less sugar. Basically, eat no sugar. Now, surprisingly, three is the hardest one for me. There's a lot of sugar around, there's sugar in most foods, and I have, since September, cut out significant amounts of snacks and sugar in my life. Not all, but I'm moving that way. And in four weeks, maybe five weeks now, I have lost about five kilograms of fat. So I haven't increased my exercise regime significantly. I haven't changed much about the way I live my life. I have just cut out snacks. And when I'm hungry and it's snack time in my office, because that's what I was doing. That was the problem. I'm at my office. It's after breakfast, before lunch. I'm a little peckish and I would eat a snack. It was usually something, you know, sweet. Now I just drink water. And that has had a significant impact on my weight. So I was looking up testosterone in general, like how you produce it and how it works and things like that. And I found that the weird thing is testosterone is really connected to an image, a mental almost power or ability. Because the activities you do, 
the more manly they are, the more testosterone you'll produce. So they measured men doing manly things and how much testosterone they were producing. And the more manly image the thing had, the more testosterone they produce. So me doing judo is probably pretty good for my testosterone. Judo's a, we're, we're fighting. It's a pretty manly sport. You're throwing other human beings around. Uh, you are in combat. So image-wise, that's very high on the scale. I don't think judo was not on the list, but they did do like uh, mixed martial arts and stuff like that. The number one manly thing you can do to produce testosterone is cut wood. And I realize that is absolutely true. Image-wise, if you think about every movie you've ever seen, when they want to show a man being manly, what do they do? They put him out in a field, they take off his shirt, and they have him cut some wood. They have him split wood. And in my head, I was like, is there anything more manly than that? And I actually couldn't come up with anything. You might find equivalencies, but you will not find anything so singularly manly image-wise than a man in the country with his shirt off, pecs rippling, sweat rolling down his firm back, splitting wood with a, a satisfying kachunk, and as he has to jerk the handle of the axe a little bit in a sexual way, but it's not sexual because he's just trying to get the axe out so he can split more wood. He's a man doing man stuff, and you can't argue with that. And then they got they got in the Avengers movie, I think it was the Age of Ultron or something. I don't remember which movie, but they had Captain America splitting wood. And he was splitting wood manly-like. And then they had Iron Man come out and he split wood, but not as well. Because he's less manly than, than Captain America. And yeah, that scale's right. So judo's good, but if I retire from judo and I want to maintain my physique, I think you're going to find a lot of split wood around my house, despite the fact I don't have a fireplace. So the Joker movie has come out and it is is released a, a, a torrent of memes and whatnot on the internet. Um, I have noticed something and it's the same thing that happened with Rick from Rick and Morty. And it's people professing that they get Rick or they get the Joker or they relate to Rick or they relate to the Joker. And I think this is ironic because it actually demonstrates that they don't understand the character. Because Rick is supposed to be a genius, he's misunderstood, he's the smartest man in the universe, and he's really rude and hateful to everyone around him. And he's an alcoholic. And he's an alcoholic because he's trying to drown all his emotions, all that kind of stuff. The Joker, I actually haven't seen the movie, so I can't say too much, but it seems like he just has a mental break and then becomes a violent criminal. But both sort of profess that they hate society the way it is. They kind of want to burn it all down. And it's because people don't understand them. They start fighting back against the world. And people like to identify with being alone in the world and fighting against everyone else. That is actually a very romantic idea that Western people have. The thing that I think people don't get, when they say, I relate to Rick, or I understand Rick, or I get Rick, or I relate to the Joker, or I understand the Joker, I, I get the Joker. I think the thing is they don't because they don't see that Rick is an asshole. He is written as an inherently negative and bad person who is selfish. Now, again, I haven't seen the Joker movie, so I can't give you any sort of details on that. I'd have to see it before I could actually come back and talk about the character. But the Joker is broken. And he's a shitty 
person. He's an awful human being. So if you get that and you relate to that, then you don't understand what it is to be an awful human being. And so that is the last time someone said something similar to this. Because for me, it was someone said, Rick and Morty, I get Rick. And I get, oh, you get being an alcoholic who has no human relationships that are valuable. And they were stumped. They were nonplussed. Now, if you got Rick, if you related to Rick, you would have a witty comeback and put me in my place. You would talk about how I am a false image of what a man should really be or something like that. But this is it. The core issue is they don't understand the way the character's been written is on purpose and it's been written as a negative influence. And if you relate to that, you're saying you wish to be a negative influence. Now, a lot of us like the anti-hero as a concept, but now we're taking fiction to reality and you don't get what it is to be a negative force in the real world because then you're just a piece of shit. And if everyone hates you, Everyone hates you and it's your fault. And that's the bit I think they're missing more than anything else. That everyone who hates Rick hates Rick because of the way Rick is. It's his fault. He could be nice to all those people. He could treat them well. He could help them out. The Joker goes out and purposely is negative. He's an asshole and everyone hates him because he's an asshole, because he's mentally broken in this movie. And if you relate to that, it's because you might be an asshole and you're looking for a way to justify it. And if that's what you're actually spending your time doing, you'd actually be better served by trying to not be such a fucking asshole all the time. So next time you meet someone and they say like, I get the Joker, or I understand the Joker, or I relate to the Joker, or I know what the Joker's going through, ask them to define the character first and then ask them to relate those traits to themselves and see what they say. Because I bet they don't actually come up with the Joker's an asshole and so am I. The United Kingdom has very noble intent. And one of the things they tried to do was make a porn blocker. And recently it has come to the news that the UK porn block initiative is dead. And primarily because how could it survive? This is one of those things you are fighting a wave of semen that you cannot stop. You will never stop people from getting porn. Even if they were successful in blocking porn, my prediction is that if they ever managed to do this, like they actually block porn on computers, internet 2.0 would suddenly emerge. They would create a new internet that was primarily porn that was accessible to people, and people would move to that almost instantly. They would say other reasons. They would say because it's faster, because it's more stable, because it's more uh, technologically advanced. But at the end of the day, it would really be where porn goes is where technology goes. You've probably heard that the reason Blu-ray was the more successful format over HD DVD is because the porn industry went with Blu-ray. Uh, there is a similar story about VHS versus versus beta cassette tapes back when they were a thing. The porn industry went with VHS and that's where everyone else followed. The internet has made blocking anything essentially impossible. So legislation, countries trying to block it out. I live in Japan and actually looking at full genitalia in Japan is illegal. And yet there is no way they're going to stop me getting on the internet and actually seeing this uh, if that's what I want. I have actually found naked pictures by accident, which is a really weird thing. They wanted to make an age verification system. And the primary issue there is they've actually tried to make age verification systems for other things, but then people just find a way to fake their age. 
So whatever system they come up with, whether it be your social insurance number or some sort of ID that you have to, I assume, scan into the computer or something, I'm not sure how that would work. Uh, it's never going to be effective because any sort of thing you associate with age will then be altered so that I can then see my naked bodies of the things I want to see. So the UK porn blocker is dead. And if anyone is surprised by that, I think they don't actually live in the real world. I ate some chips last week. That in itself is not particularly newsworthy, but it did bring up a story. We were talking about chips because in Japan they have a lot of odd flavors. And we're talking about best flavors of chips. And uh, one of the worst ones that I thought when I saw it was egg salad sandwich flavor, which I thought was immediately disgusting. My coworkers, two of them actually said it sounded good to them. So I now have less respect for them as people. We were talking about weird flavors. In Canada, where I come from, a very popular chip is ketchup, which I myself find quite disgusting, but Canadians like it. Uh, also dill pickle, which is not as offensive, but I could only ever eat one or two before I was kind of like overwhelmed by the dill pickle flavor. Uh, I am very much a traditional chip enthusiast. I like salt and vinegar, probably my British roots. But easily my favorite chip is the Dorito. Now the Dorito has to be from America. They actually have Doritos in Japan, but they have changed the formula a little bit so they are not quite Doritos, which is even worse than not Doritos. I would actually rather eat a different chip than eat a slightly changed formula Dorito because then I'm not satisfied with my chip experience. But one of the things I have learned recently was the amount of calories in Doritos are excessive, like crazy, crazy calories. And as you know, once you start eating chips like that, you tend to eat way more than you should. So you're getting way, way more calories than you think you are. That's probably one of the aspects of Doritos that's so satisfying is that they fill you up because they have so many calories. Something else people don't tend to know is that Doritos were created as a way of selling stale taco chips. So they had these stale chips and they were like, oh, if we cover it with something cheesy, people won't actually taste the stale chip and then we don't actually have to throw them out. We can actually resell this, you know, wasted product. So essentially, if you're like me and you like Doritos, what you really like is garbage. But one of the desires of chip companies is to sell the health aspect of chips. And back when I was youthful, they came out with a product called Olestra. Now, Olestra was something I think they sprayed on chips. And it made it so that your body could not absorb the fat, which sounds perfect because you are eating chips. You can eat as many chips as you want. You won't absorb any fat. You'll just poop it out later. It's going to be maybe a bigger poop, but that's actually a fine thing because you aren't getting any of the negative aspects of eating chips, but you are getting all the positive satisfaction of eating your chip. Olestra was essentially an oil. So it was an oil that kind of coated the stuff and then your body couldn't process it. So you had to poop that out. Now, the thing is with oil in the human body, in volume, they do not mix well. And as I stated previously, one of the problems with eating chips is we tend to eat too many. We eat a lot more than we should. So Olestra caused a very significant problem. If you go on the internet, you could actually search the word Olestra and the next words that would probably come up would be anal leakage. Because there was so much oil in your system, your sphincter couldn't hold the oil in place in your intestines. And it would start to slowly leak out of your butt. This is probably not where you expected this story to go. And it's not where the people who made this product expected it to go. 
Because I guess they hadn't taken into account when people sit down and eat a bag of chips, they eat the whole bag, even if it's way too big for one person. Because North Americans indulge too much. That's how they've been raised. The downfall of Olestra as a product was not the fact that it caused anal leakage. It was the fact that they had to put something on the bag that said, may cause anal leakage. Which if you are in publicity or advertising or any sort of promotion, the last words you want stamped on your product are may cause anal leakage. So that was the end of Olestra and the end of the Olestra style chip that you would absorb no fat from. So science, at least we know, is still working on the perfect chip. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. That's not how you're supposed... They would say... HDVD.